What's up, Claim of Stories fam? It's Bima. For our final episode of season one, we're going to do something a little different here with a spoken word piece written and performed by Amiri Rose. My name is Amiri Rose. Uh, this is the original piece uh, called This Is Not Normal. This is not normal. It never was. Media outlets, platforms, and patriarchies, which control those same outlets and platforms, continue to televise modern-day lynchings of black male bodies while thoughtfully neglecting the black woman's and LGBTQ's respective bodies, all the while preserving the traumatic practices that started centuries ago. As we globally promote the resistance towards being desensitized to the effortless slaughter of all black lives, we ourselves, black people, who operate in daily covert survival mode comparable to COINTELPRO, have become desensitized to our own black experience. This is not normal. Functioning to endure, we, black people, have come to internalize and inherit this American life, a life comprised of calculated and freestyle play-by-play adaptations and soul-warping outer body edits in every space. But this is not normal. At 16 years old, my mother shouldn't have had to tell me I can't wear a do-rag while driving her Tar Heel Blue Toyota Camry. She knew that the sight of my do-rag mixed with my melanin could result in an unwarranted fatality. She knows my skin and the racial profile that comes with it are historically married to a shield that's supposed to protect and serve, yet only serves a system of racist ideology and policy. This is not normal. It's not normal to be pulled over by one cop one early morning as I'm returning home from a 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. UPS shift after working a 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. internship during the day for speeding. It's not normal that after I give the cop my license and registration that I look up in the rear view to see four cop cars at the ready. Sometimes, I feel like they believe in our power more than we do. It's not normal that as a kid, the first question I was always asked, do I play basketball? Though my body type and skin fit the description of 90% of the NBA, that's the only thing I could be interested in or good for, right? I was never asked if I was interested in journalism or law school. Somehow what's possible for me depends on where I'm seen. Where do you see me, us, they? If your answer is TV, sport, and film, that's a problem. This is not normal. It's not normal that in corporate settings, I wouldn't let my beard grow past a certain length, that I try my best to not speak with my hands, as to seem aggressive or angry. Once you see aggression, you stop listening to what I'm saying. Can you hear me, her, us, they? Now, this is not normal. It's not normal that 24 years later, I still can't travel where I want to. Instead of a solo trip to the desert, which was six hours away, for my 40th, I chose a closer, safer place, two hours away. And even with an alternative, which I am grateful for, there was still much trepidation. The residue of it and the years prior is something I'm just now dealing with thanks to my therapist who simply asked me, what does that bring up for you? When you're in a state of survival, you don't take time to feel. You just keep going. And for the most of us, we've simply kept going. And spoiler alert, we still are. And that's why our response to your text message is delayed or never happens. This is not normal. Can you see it? Our cool, calm, and collected rage it comes out like clockwork in every convo. 
It starts out composed, and by the end, you can see our hearts beating out our pain, frustration, exhaustion, and pride. This is not normal. It's not normal that black women and LGBTQ plus are and have been unprotected, unheard, unseen, and unloved. There's much internal work to do here. It's not normal that I don't know what to do with this day, that I don't know what I'm celebrating beyond what the date represented, because nothing normal happened before or after that. It's not normal that 24 years later, I still feel like I'm wearing the do-rag that my mother told me to remove from my head, but the do-rag has always been me. It's not normal that this America consider our current black experience normal. We are a long way from what normal should look, feel, and act like. Fast forward, the uh, conversation started turning into like, which country or which race? What are the what are they best known for? Mm-hmm. Right, in, like in, in in regards of food or just it just in, in general, 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 right? So everybody was hyping up like where they're from, where they're from, yeah, yeah, yeah. like oh like, this person do this, right? And I'm like oh yeah, I know like um, a black American guy made peanut butter and like they just different things. We're going back and forth. Then uh, the top boss goes like oh yeah, a British guy made the internet. And they were like, oh, okay, that's cool. So everybody's looking up on their phone. Then, yo, out of nowhere, this dude just goes, our top boss, he goes like, oh, I know what black people are famous for. Laziness. And I'm like, yo. Wow. What? I look around the room. Nobody's saying anything because everybody's just quiet. Yeah. And I've never felt more isolated in my life. This is Claim of Stories, a show about professionals working in the sportswear industry and the incredible careers they've been able to claim. Welcome to the Creative State. I'm Bima, and on today's show, how Nuo Gota went from escaping the civil war in Liberia and being surrounded by the crack epidemic in Brooklyn to managing the social media content plans that elevate the stories of NBA and WNBA all-stars for the biggest athletic and outdoor company in the world. I can't believe it, but we've actually reached the final episode of season one of Claim of Stories. You know, when we started this podcast, it came from a place of absolute necessity. To state it plainly, Black and brown communities in the United States experience a day-to-day reality where systematic racism has created significant disadvantages and roadblocks, resulting in a lack of racially diverse representation in the work environment, pay inequality, and uninviting company cultures. Newell has navigated all of this to become a brand marketer, currently at Nike Basketball. But before that, back in 2013, he got his first marketing opportunity in the industry through approaching the Puma North American president, which he met through his brother. After helping the brand launch successful projects with A-Life, Vashti, and ICNY, he parlayed this experience into a global marketing director role at Calvin Klein, where he led the brand marketing strategies for partners like Justin Bieber, The Kardashians, and ASAP Rocky. While Nuo has achieved amazing success in his career, it didn't come easy. In fact, it almost never happened, partially due to him not knowing that marketing was a career path and initially settling for a job in finance. In our conversation ahead, he describes a very tough upbringing 
living with family members that were addicted to drugs. I, I grew up in the Northeast, right? So, like, I have family between New York uh, and Massachusetts as well as in, in, in Providence, Rhode Island, right? Okay. But um, I think the key thing that you hit on is, again, coming to the U.S., not really understanding the culture, not really understanding what's going on, mm -hmm. but then being slapped, like, dead in Just it. immersed in it. Where crack is hitting, right? I have family members who are hooked on crack, right? Because, again, you reach a certain thing where people are self-medicating because th th there's no jobs, right? No jobs. There's, like, it, it, in the Northeast, it's cold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anybody it, that knows, it's, it's, it's cold. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to figure out, like, when, when, the, when the liquor isn't hitting hard enough and you need something else to cut the edge, what is it going to be, mm. right? So, like, I remember, like, an uncle of mine, super smart guy, Hard worker, right? Mm -hmm. um, Uncle Harris. Mm -hmm. So my, my brother would know. Um, and, and again, he was hooked on that dope. Wow. Right? And like you saw him and you like you could tell like something I, was off. It wasn't even I could tell. Now when I recollect, mm -hmm. when I, when you sit back and watch TV, yeah. you watch the wire and seeing people do dope, you're like, oh shit. Uncle Harris was doing dope in the living room sitting right next to me. Wow. Oof. You know what I mean? But uh, again, you're a kid. You don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Right when you sit back and you look at all these things that have happened to you, and you and you and you start digging into it, you start really unpacking it. You're just like, damn, yo, like I really, I was Those naive, things. right? Yeah, yeah, you just didn't know what you didn't know at the time. But but the, the but but the thing is, it's it's life, mm. right? It becomes your norm, mm. right? You become numb to it, so nothing. That's why nothing can touch you, right? And and, and I think like a lot of these things that's going on right now. When people are really trying to to wrap their head around it and be like, "Oh my God, I can't believe you," we went. I'm like, "Yo, what what are you talking about? This is normal. Mm. Like, this has been my this has I been my entire life. Cockroaches? I don't know what. Yeah, you serious? Yeah. What were so your uncle? Um, where were your parents when all of this was happening? Right. Trying to figure out how to work. They, yo, you got, and again, I will praise both my parents, right? Because again, situation where, like, like you, you, you touched on it. We immigrated from the U.S. There was a civil war in Liberia. I have a ton of family that died, mm. right? Like, I have a ton of family that I don't even know. My, like, between my mom and dad that died. So, us being fortunate enough where we had family members that are already here in the U.S. that are able to vouch for us, for us to be able to come. In, in, for us to be able to immigrate here, super grateful, yeah. right? Like I was, I was one of the the lucky few that made it out, yeah. right? But that made it out into another situation that you had to come, you had to outcome, and you have to to keep working and, and striding. So for for me, it's my parents were both working. I could tell you the person that I look up to the most is my mother, mm -hmm. right? Because I. I this is somebody that their work ethic is relentless. Yeah. Right. And and this is this is somebody where I think I take a lot from her because once she solves a problem, <laughs> she's on to the next. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and and she's never she's 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 never satisfied because it, it's always like, hey, if I'm able to climb this ladder. Yeah. What. What's, what, the next, uh, what's the what's next? What's the next challenge? In what's front the of next it, right? challenge? Right, and I think that's that. That's that hunger, mm -hmm. and that's that thing that I, I, I always put put forward. And I think for me, um, 
I get a lot of like probably my street smarts and, and figuring it out for my dad. Mm. Me and my dad are my relationship right now. My dad is is probably not the best place, right? So like, and that's 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 something that we could we could we could dig into, and it's probably more because of just culture, right? Of of him coming here um, and me being like being young, growing up in the U.S. and and essentially going from being an African man be, to becoming an African American man, right? And that's mm-hmm. like that. There's 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 a difference, difference in that, right? Yeah. So culturally, the way how he was raised in the U.S. versus the way how African American men are raised here, uh, the, just the difficulties and the things that we go through. Some of the things that, that like um, our learning process ends up being the hard knocks, right? Because we don't get a we don't we don't we don't get forgiven, right? Mm-hmm. Like as soon as we make a mistake, it, yeah. it they're on our Right. Yes, yes. Like so like and again, uh, for, for me, I could I'd probably say like <laughs> with my dad is he he's another one, too. He could just figure things out. <laughs> right. Because it, it, it's always at a, at a certain instance of you have no other choice. But I was going to gonna say, because what's the other choice? You have no other choice. Right. You just you just came from a place where, you know, people are getting people getting killed. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you bring your family to this new place and there's a lot of things going on and you got to figure out how to make it happen. Right. And so I don't he didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice. My mom, my dad. And 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 to be honest with you, that's the black community as a whole. Hmm. Right. Like most of the time we don't have a choice. Hmm. So it's either we we give up Mm -hmm. and when we give up. Then the system is looking at you and being like, "Yo, you weren't you weren't good for nothing anyway." So like, this is what I yeah, this is what I expected of you, mm-hmm. right? So take me back to you brought up your your brother, yeah, and um, your younger brother, mm-hmm. and um, you know, when you were younger, your parents were working, right, mm-hmm. and you were home. I think in one of our conversations we had, you had to grow up pretty quick, and mm-hmm. you were looking after your brother. Mm-hmm. Like, what what do you mean when you were looking after your brother? You talk about looking after my brother from trying to figure out what he's going to eat, mm-hmm. giving him a bath. Like, I, and again, this is I don't I don't think my story is is definitely just only my story. There's a lot of people that can relate to this, right? Because we all grew up in this place where, like, yo, you have to play mom and dad while your mom and dad is working, mm-hmm. right? You 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 have to be able to uh, uh, come from school and, and, and be responsible for what your siblings are eating. And, and, and to be super specific about it, there are situations where I remember my little sister was born and it was it was me from when she was five months old, taking care of her. And I was, what? I could probably say I was probably like 11 years old. 11. And me, it was me and my little brother and my little sister. Wow. Like, I had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now it's crazy. I have a three-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. and I, I, I see kids who are like eight or nine years old. I'm like, damn, I, I, like, could you ever do that, right? Right. But it's, it's a different reality. It's, it's a different thing. And I think as... We we just look across the board. Me and you talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. When you when you progress, is you wanna you wanna be able to do things and give things to the next generation, so of they can, so they can go further. So they can so, go further. Yeah. So I want to take you to 1998. You're in high school, mm-hmm. and you start to realize you have you're good at numbers, right? You're mm-hmm. good at math, and um, 
I think you started to highlight kind of this odd experience you started to have when you were, were in high school where you started to notice you were having uh, lunch at a different time than some of your other black friends. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what, what What's that about? When we were younger, my dad, when, when he came to the U.S., he started taking classes um, at a community college to just better himself, right? Okay. Okay. And at that time, he started taking, like, uh, calculus and just different courses. So mm-hmm. when he would come home... Um, obviously he would, uh, he would also be like, oh, we're, we're, we're doing this. So, so me and my brother, he was very strict. He was like, Hey, this is what we're doing in math, math class. Let's do it together. So, oh, like, wow. I, so I, he would do that with you. Yeah. Y'all. Yeah. Okay. So he started doing that with us. Right. And then, um, I was able to pick up on it. And again, my dad was, was, was strict in terms of like, just, just that, right. Super mm-hmm. militant and being like, Hey, you got to pay attention. I know what's happening to all these black Americans here. I don't want this to happen to you guys. So like. You have to put your head down because it's education, it's education, education. And I think, like, even if you look within the, the black community, we think we're going to academic ourselves out of people hating us, <laughs> which is crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, it's just like, yo, if I outsmart them, they won't think I'm black. No. <laughs> it, don't, it don't matter, dog. <laughs> like, yo, so, so I think, like, going back to... Just my experience in high school. Okay, so just to break down and, and, and the lay of the land of my high school, it was um started high school as a, as a public high school, um and it it, it was kind of weird, right? So I I play basketball, so I, I was like part of that 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 in crowd in yeah. terms of like playing basketball, but then also what was what was weird about me was I always had decent grades. <laughs> Wait, why why is that weird? Because. All the other black kids that play basketball, their grades were trashed. Hmm. And that's because your dad was strict. Yeah. Yeah. So I always had decent grades and I had this um this math teacher, um, her name was um Miss Ham. And what was funny, I also had her husband, who was um my history teacher in the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So when I hit high school, I took her class because I I liked history also. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So I remember going to Miss Ham's class, and it was the class where most of the, um, you had most of the minority kids were in the class, right? So yeah. we're, 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 taking, we're taking the classes. First test, boom, I bang it out. Mm-hmm. She's like, wait, what? I was just like, this is stuff I, I deal with my dad like <laughs> four or five this years ago. Work. What are you talking about? She's like, oh, wait, what? Why are you in this class? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Boom. She goes down, talks to the guidance counselor. They had me take a test, banged it out. They're like, yo, we need to put you in some honors classes. Hmm. Had you heard about honors classes before that moment? Never. Hmm. Never. Hmm. Right? So fast forward, they put me in the honors classes. All of a sudden, I go. It was. It was like <sighs> there was this old kid and play movie about how class act. <laughs> class act. <laughs> it was exactly like class act. <laughs> hmm. Yo, I, I see. I opened the door. It was a whole new school. <laughs> wow. Right. And what did the school look like? The walls were white. And I'm sitting here looking at it. it was everything was clean versus where I came from, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So then I go in, and now you can't just take one honors class, right? Yeah. You have to be because it has to fall within like the schedule that you have, right? Right. So then I go I go into the class. I start 
going into it, then I start like facing a little bit of like the the the, the microaggressions in that class, right? Yeah. Then I start getting teachers being like, "Why are you here?" Really? Oh, we w- did you really take the test? Made me take the test again. You had to take just the to prove. Wow. Oh yeah, just just to prove. What they think you made the test? Like again, what do you say? Mm. At that time, you don't know you're being discriminated against. Mm. Hmm. Right? You don't. Yeah, you're you're a kid. You had no prior experience. You had before. no. No, you did. You you did because now when you sit back and you look at all these all the times all the different things like the weird things like that that have happened to you. You start, like, now that I look back, I'm like, yo, this wasn't the first time I was discriminated against. No. no. You had me at 14 years old being discriminated against, and I was being discriminated against all the, all, all the way through, mm-hmm. right? So you just it, started it, to it, notice it, it. it. Yeah, I didn't start. No, no, no. Actually, I didn't even notice it then. I started noticing it now when I go back and, and look, look at it. Look at it. Yep. Yeah. And, and right I was like, oh, that was something that, 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 that highlighted that, right? Yeah. So for me is, he made me take the test again. Again, banged it out. Mm-hmm. Right, came back to it. He was like, "Oh, okay, cool." History went in there. First test had the highest grade in in history. <laughs> Everybody's looking around and being like, "Yo, what? Who is this? Dude? Who is this dude?" Mm-hmm. No, no, they knew who I was because I played basketball. Mm. Right, but they were wondering why I'm in that class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was also wondering, being like, "Yo, I see you guys." Like, before school starts, but then I don't see you guys for the rest of the day. The hell is going on? Yeah. Right? And now I infiltrated a little bit and started seeing it. So I think, like, it it got really weird for me because all of a sudden all my black friends, all all my friends that I play basketball with, were always like, yo, how can we never see you at lunch? Hmm. Like, where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm taking these classes because it's you have different schedules. Huh. So it's almost like it was segregated. Yeah. Right, so like, you had all the, the the minority kids, all the kids that were deemed not smart enough to be in there, had a different schedule. So it, it, it's like when you talk about school segregation, like yo, it's you lived that. Yeah, yeah. I want to tap in a little bit more about this basketball background. Um, <laughs> so, I, like, maybe this is a a silly question, but what inspired you to? To play ball, like what was like, what were your earliest memories of like I want to play b- ball because, like, was it the culture in New York? Was it like a player? Like, what was it? No, nah, it was fitting in, right? You come from from Africa at the age where everybody plays soccer, hmm. right? Ain't nobody really playing soccer, and, <laughs> and it was cold as hell, right? Yeah. Then, um, like I had a cousin that played, um. Baseball. Then went into playing baseball. Yeah, it's nice at baseball. <laughs> Yo, you. I, what What do I always tell you? If I can't do something, if you teach me, if you show me once, I'll I will master it by the next time you come. <laughs> I was nice at baseball. <laughs> right. I was yeah. playing an age above, like where my age group was. Yeah. Right. Right. So, and also because I was taller, but like age-wise, I was playing with older kids. I was nice at baseball. Yeah. Then all of a, with basketball, it just became a thing where people started playing. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Couldn't play. Like I was, I, I could probably look at. I was probably I was whack at, at, at it. But the, the thing is, is just you you fall in love with you. You fall in love with the game. You fall in love, love with the it. game. Yeah. yeah. Like it, it. It. But then you you start 
really understanding mm. what the game mm. is and what the game could do for you, mm-hmm. right? So like then, maybe get you out of your situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think nowadays kids look at that, but before you were naive, you didn't know. Mm-hmm. You didn't know what the system was. Yeah. You just played. Yeah. Right. And then you had a lot of people that around you that was pushing you to play. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, you didn't even understand. Now looking back at like the the, the different things where you're like, oh, I should have practiced this more. That would have helped me. But I didn't. I didn't have any of that. Yeah. Right. You were just out there just trying to play and also trying to stay out of trouble. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was mostly trying <laughs> to stay out of trouble. So, all right. So you you're playing ball. What, what were you? What, what what position? Shooting guard. You're shooting guard. Why yeah. were you shooting guard? It's the flash. <laughs> it's the flashiness, man. Like, at, at, like, to be honest, um, I, my favorite player is what Michael Jordan is everybody's favorite player. Uh, AI later on, Kobe also. Um, looking at it, it, it was you wanted you, everybody wanted to be a scorer mm. because that's who was getting the attention. Everybody wanted to be a scorer. Mm-hmm. Right, that's so, who's getting endorsement deals. It, yeah. it ain't that when you're playing. Like I, I think this is where the, everybody got this mixed up when they're like, "Oh, I want to have the most assists. I want to have the most rebound." Man, whatever, dog. Like if you ain't dropping, if you're not scoring, <laughs> that's just where I come. I, I came from. Yeah, you're trying to score. You're trying to put buckets up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's a different age now because it, there's a machine behind the game. But mm-hmm. back then, you want to be a scorer. Yeah. So, <laughs> so MJ is your favorite player, right? And um, did you like? Were you able to get like his sneakers and stuff like that? Were you able nah. to get Jordans? Like, was that like? Nope. Nope. No. It no. was Etonics, <laughs> British Knights. All the uh, the the brand the defunct brands mm. that we have now, yeah, that's all my parents could afford. Mm. Do you remember how much those shoes were? Like, cause what what were Jordans at the time? Hundred bucks. Yeah, I remember going to the mall. the The British Knights were two for sixty bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And then going to the court, getting ragged on. I was gonna ask. Yeah, what were what, what were kids saying? They're like, yo. They used to call me some of my nicknames, Africa, uh, Midnight. <laughs> yeah, kids, right? And, and at the end of the day, that's why I became a relentless scorer because it's just like, yo, how do you I shut them, them up? Yeah, you yeah. Want them to stop saying so it. So you gotta let your game show. Hmm. So, but at the same token, you probably still wanted Jordans. Oh, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So I think. Um, there was a there was a situation where um, you could have gone down a wrong path, oh. right? And so I think you were looking, maybe you had a friend, and again, you didn't know where your friend was getting this money from, but your friend had Jordans on, and he like approached you and was like, "Yo, knew you want to go make some quick money? I I got away, and um, I think it was end up he was trying to get you to sell drugs, right? Yeah. So what what's funny is nobody's ever I've. This is the first time I, I've ever told anybody a story. And again, this ties back to just luck, right? Mm. Because, like, this is where things could have just totally turned for me. And I think, like, as we're having this conversation, there's definitely going to be a theme of, like, just like I said, there's different stages in my life that things could have just, it could have just ended, right? Yeah. So I, I had this friend, um, Ephraim, always came to school with, like, the new sneakers on. 
really fly. You know what I mean? Sometimes he'll let me borrow a pair. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but like he always was on point. Like when the new shoes came out, the Chris Webbers came out, he had them. Right? Like it, it was Penny Hardaway's, he had them. Right? Always on, yeah. on, on lock. So for me is, I remember one time we were hanging out. Yeah. Right? And we always hung out. We met at basketball court. He would show up, shoot around a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then, like, all of a sudden, it's like, as we grew older, I started realizing that he would show up. He wouldn't wear basketball shorts one day, or he would wear expensive uh, Chicago Bulls basketball shorts. Then, next day, he'll come, he'll be wearing jeans, jean shorts, and I'm like, oh, okay. We were little kids who used to just wear our basketball jerseys to play, but now you're, like, dressing up a lot more, yeah, right? Yeah, And then one day, we pull up to court. We 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 started playing. He was like, "Yo, I don't want to sweat too much because I have to go somewhere after, right?" And I'm like, "Wait, what?" I'm like, "Yo, we usually play. We're trying to ball." Yeah. What's what, up? Are you, what are you What are you talking about? So later on, as he as he's going, I'm still I'm like, "Yo, like it's not even that late. Why Why are you leaving?" He was like, "Yo, I gotta go pick up something." He was just like he looked at me. He was like, "Yo, you know, I'm gonna do you a favor. You want to come with me and pick this up?" And you could get $500. He was like, I'll give you $500. I'm like, yo, $500. What are you, what are about? And, and mind you, at that time, my dad was getting paid $450 a week. So this was more money than your dad was making. $450 a week. Hmm. And you could do it in a day. In a in an in instant. In a day. Yeah. But I didn't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, wait, you're just going to go pick up something and then you're going to get, you're going to be able to give me $500? I'm like, he was like, Yeah. I'm going to get, I'm, obviously, I'm going to get more, it, it, but I'll, I'll give you $500 of it. You just got to come with me. And I was like, oh, I was like, naive. I was like, let's go. Yeah. Because I started looking at him. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be able to get these I'm Jordans. New, so we're, new, new jeans, we're new literally jerseys, walking. New Jordans. I'm calculating everything in my mind that I'm going to buy. thinking what you're going to buy. Yeah. <laughs> everything I'm going to buy, <laughs> but not understanding the full gravity of what I'm doing. Yeah. Right? So then we go to another basketball court and, um, this 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 guy that used to be in the neighborhood, and he used to play basketball, mm-hmm. right? But he used to play basketball with his boys. Okay. And I remember that day; it was hot, hmm. right? And 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 I I I I think I told you the way how the um the town where where I was was set up. You had North Common, yeah. which is a project, right, and then you right. had South Common. South Commons, yeah. So we had to leave North Common and go to South Common, where they all like all these guys were playing and it was right. it was it, and, and the basketball court was enclosed by projects all around okay right mm-hmm. so we walk into um the basketball court and then all of a sudden it's like yo i i see him because there was only there was two basketball courts that everybody played basketball at right so like i was a a, a basketball court like rat so mm-hmm. i would go back and forth to see where the see games, where the games were, were yeah. where the games were right so we go to this we go to the basketball court and then I, I, I see, I, I see this, um, the, the, the guy I was telling you about, mm-hmm. and he's there and shirtless playing basketball with his boys. The game stops, right? Mm-hmm. Ephraim goes and has a conversation with him. And he's right? on your behalf saying, I want to bring him. Yeah. Okay. No, no, but no, he's talking to him about what he went to go pick up. Okay. And then I'm standing there and then the, the guy goes like, hey, Africa, you're not going to play ball? I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Mm. I'm with Ephraim He was like Oh Mm. And that meant something different He pulls Ephraim on the side Says something to him Ephraim walks back to me And goes like Yo we gotta go 
And I'm like, wait, why we gotta go? Did you get what you came to get? Are we gonna go right, drop it so off? We can go get Ephraim's the like, no, we gotta go. You can't come around here. Like, yo, we gotta go. Wow. Right? And then yeah. fast forward, that guy got murdered. Wow. Ephraim went to jail. Yeah. And then I realized what happened that day because as I sat back and look at it, the guy told Ephraim, like, yo, this kid plays basketball with us. Don't get him caught up in what we're doing. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So for with God's blessing, it was that one day where my life could have turned, right? Because yeah. I could have got, not saying that I would have got hooked on the, doing the drugs, I would have got hooked on that drug money. Yeah. So 2001, um, you enroll into into college in Connecticut, Quinnipiac University, Quinnipiac, and uh, you go on a basketball scholarship. Mm-hmm. You go on a basketball scholarship, and you major in finance, right? Yeah. Um, what sort of career were you interested in? I didn't. I, I didn't know. Yeah, you were just like, I just want to get a degree, and then maybe I'll figure it out. Yeah, I didn't know. Well, you think you hit college? That that's it, mm. right? It, it, and, I, I, and I'm saying like that's something that's really important is. A lot of athletes or a lot of brothers, a lot of people, when we hit college, we think we could transcend because just because we have that college degree, but we don't really know the direction or the courses or... Because we don't have exposure exposure yeah. to that, right? Yeah. Is that what you felt like? You didn't really have those examples to say, go this path or go down that Sam, lane, right? If, if I would have knew what marketing was, where I'm sitting here today, if I would have knew... <sighs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I praise the work that you're doing, dog. To be honest with you, if I would if I would have knew. Right? So man, so you 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 eventually um you finished college, right? And um you started your career in finance in two thousand four, right? And mm-hmm. you landed your first job um at the Hartford, right? Mm-hmm. Um in Connecticut. And this was a, a financial company. Um how'd you get this job? Luck. Elaborate. Luck meaning that I had a a one of the career counselors on on campus. Um, she took an she took an liking to to me because of my overall story, and mm-hmm. also like I, I was really I was I was sharp, good at math. So mm-hmm. she had some connections at um, the Hartford um, Financial Institute in, in 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 Connecticut in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, and she was able to put me into this program that they had where they were hiring. Um, um, college college seniors to to come in and to work in different departments and kind of shadow, kind of like a co-op, yeah, yeah. Okay. kind of like a co-op and go into that. And for me, is um, I was able to land that role, okay, um, land that role where again I was working in a group that was uh, that, that was highly a highly visible group. So it was um and, and and going back and looking at it where. So they were the part of a Six Sigma group. So a, mm-hmm. a little bit of of that is they did a lot of um, like looking at processes and trying to figure out how to clean up processes, looking at how so to solve can, different problems and make the business run run smoother, more right? Efficiently, more maybe efficiently, maybe get you know better Absolutely. margins. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. I was uh, and I was particularly on the claim side, right? So again, coming in where it wasn't a traditional finance job. 
it yeah. was more of a, of a job where I was working within this group. I was able to to really put a lot of skills of, of just being able to figure out systems, mm. figure out how to make systems run smoother, solver. be yeah. a problem solver, right? right? So for me, is um, I was working in the claims group, and one of the things that they had, and, 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 and this is like we're talking about back in the day, now computers are a lot faster, right, where they for have sure. all these different files. Claim files. They had them all in a room. They're like, "Hey, we haven't processed. <laughs> we haven't processed the claim files. How are we gonna get them online and be able to process them? Process them, right? They had somebody so like box of files, boxes. <laughs> Yo, it was boxes, right? <laughs> so I come in and I start looking at it, and I was like, oh, "All right, cool. First, like uh, the manager that I had. Oh, we need to document these, right? Mm-hmm. So it was going in and trying to document them, and then seeing how long they've been." How long they've been, um, the clean files been sitting there before people got paid. Yeah. Right. And every single month, when you don't pay anybody, there's a penalty that comes on to the Hartford Financial. But the thing is, though, the Hartford Financial is a big company. They're not like, we're not tripping. We don't yeah, care. It's like, like whatever. whatever. It, is, it is what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and I was able to come in and look at that and working with, with that group and just seeing all the work they were doing and trying to like just think of different ideas, we we're able to go through. Look at it, it, and mind you, I'm sitting there as what? How how old was I? It was like I mean, you were just out of college. Yeah, so. just just out of college, early twenties. Look, looking at all these claim files, <laughs> reading through them, reading tragic things about people houses burning. Oh wow! People like like <laughs> people dying and yeah. being old money and haven't been paid. Looking at all this stuff, so yeah. I was able to work with uh, within that group. And kind of build an overall system. It was an online system, and it was using Access, right? So it's Access is a is a place where you create a form. It's almost like Excel. You create a form okay. where you can go in, yeah. and, you okay. can go in yeah, yeah. And, and 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 um type in certain data so it could be held in the database, right? Right. So I, I went in. I taught myself how to use Access, hmm. right? I was able to make a form that, in terms where. We're able to give that to a a, a call, almost like a a data entry center mm-hmm. where they they set up a data entry center where they brought in a bunch of people to use the form that I created yeah. to input all the data in, and then we're able to get like people paid right. And mm-hmm. I, I I could tell you within the time of being there, I saved the company forty million dollars. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was able to do that. Right, you saved the company forty million. Forty mil, yeah. Just through the system that you had set up. I was able to build. Wow. And didn't even know there was YouTube wasn't even popping. So I didn't even go on YouTube. <laughs> it was I was reading it through a book mm-hmm. and just trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was just that 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 thing of like, man, this is actually oh, okay, cool. You, you were into it though, yeah, right? Like yeah, it was like yeah. it was something that was stimulating for you. It was a challenge. You were like oh, it was some nerd. <laughs> like I was <laughs> deep into that. But it, it was again, we never like Coming from a place where you 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 solve problems, yeah, you're not tripping because you're like, oh, okay, cool. There's this some worth in this. Yeah. This is great. And and look at mind you, I saved the company forty million when I was there, mm-hmm. and they probably used it after. Imagine that I could have took that form and being like, yo, one percent of that. Imagine one percent of that. One percent of that. Um. So, all right. So let's say uh, you just you just make this company forty. Save the company forty million dollars, right? And then uh, after seven years of working in finance, you decide you want to pivot in your career. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. inspires this career change? For me, there was always something there about like, man, I want to learn something else besides finance. Yeah. Right. Because I'm looking at all these old dudes. Like, number one, 
all the like the one or two old black guys that worked at the company, mm-hmm. one worked in IT and the other one was a janitor. Wow. So I was like, oh shit, like black people ain't really moving up. They ain't moving up in this <laughs> so company. They're not gonna yeah. be running this company. So like I'm tripping. Like unless I get lucky and become the the, the, the token dude that they're trying to put into it that doesn't rock the, the boat. Cool. Mm-hmm. But then I was just like, man, I really wanna I really wanna dig my, my foot into uh into finance. Mm-hmm. Uh no, in, not into finance, something in, into something else. So yeah. like uh I was like, man, marketing. That would be cool, but am I creative enough? Like, hmm. I don't know. Did you and know was, anyone that was working in marketing? Uh, my brother my brother was at Puma okay. at that time, right? Okay. And again, in my mind, I was just like, you know what? For me to get out of this, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do what black people always do. I'm gonna academic the shit out of this. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to college and I'm gonna get my go back to college. Oh, I'm gonna get my MBA. So Oof. went so where'd you go? Where'd you end up going back? So I ended up uh, going to Suffolk University, um, uh, a school in Boston. In Boston. Uh, so you yeah. you were you were in I was New York. In Bo- uh, no, no, I was in I was in Boston at the REIT. Okay. At okay. the real estate investment firm. So, and then um, I ended up going to sit for the GMAT. So whack. Like <laughs> to be honest with you, like <laughs> all, all, every single time you hit a certain thing. Same thing as the SATs. Yeah. You hit a certain. There's always a standardized test to kind of marginalize in terms of like. Like to marginalize the opportunities that you can actually have, right? Because now when I look back at it, look back at it, look where I am, I'm like, man, if I would have, if the GMAT wasn't there, I could have killed it any other university, right? But yeah. like it was just like the, you have to be able to get have through to the door for that, right? So take this test, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's all based like most of the time they're, they're basing it off of that. So I ended up taking it. Uh, I did really well on the math on the math part of the test. English was uh, I, I I struggled. On that, um, I applied to, to Suffolk University. They mm-hmm. took me in. They had a they had a great program that they were running, which was a, 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 a called the Global MBA program, okay. which was focused either in um, business strategy, finance, uh, or marketing. Okay. And I went in and I did both uh, the strategy and the marketing arm um, of it. Uh, came back when I met one of my uh, undergrad roommates for for lunch. Mm-hmm. He was working at this agency in um, in, in Manhattan. Um, and he was like, yo, like, you, you ever thought about coming to an agency? I was just like, man, I had don't you, know. Had you even known much about agencies before I didn't know, I have a clue what an agency was. Yeah. So you, you couldn't really entertain it because you didn't nah. know what he was talking about. Nah. <laughs> Absolutely not. So, and, and I remember um, him introducing me to... Uh, Somebody that at at the agency, the head of brand strategy, this guy Will Wiseman, and um, another one, uh, Jim Elms. Mm-hmm. He's actually from Louisiana. Oh, went okay. to, he went to Tulane. Uh, really, really great guys. Yeah. Um, they 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 saw something in terms of what I like, what what my potential was, mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, like yo, we'd like to bring you in to 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 this this thing that we're trying to do. We just want an account, a Mastercard account. Yeah. Right. And I was just like, okay, the Mastercard account. What does that mean? What does that mean? What, what, what am I what doing? Would you be doing? What am I doing? Right. <laughs> but the the good thing is they had the foresight because what I always do is when I meet anybody is I put together a portfolio of work that I've done. Right. Right. To try to show examples. So they were able to look at it. They're like, oh, this is great stuff. Oh, you were just in Istanbul. You created this. Mm-hmm. Oh, this was a membership program that you created. Mm. MasterCard, we yep. just won them, and their biggest campaign that they're running is Priceless Cities, mm-hmm. which is a membership program. Mm-hmm. Right? So they saw the transferable skills. We did transfer right there. Yeah. 
right? It wasn't saying like MasterCard's a finance and he used to be fine. No, it was like, <laughs> oh, okay. You understand the clear the clear balance between art and science. Yes. Right? The 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 the, the quant and the qualitative. So mm-hmm. like I was able to balance both of those things and they saw that. Yeah. So like I, and I I can say like for me, going to University of McCann, working with those guys was probably one of the most fruitful times uh, of learning, right? Because I had a boss, Will Wiseman, mm-hmm. who was able to challenge me. Mm. So he was, and and when you say challenge, you mean you had an opportunity to, you had different opportunities to step into, right? You Absolutely. You weren't just boxed into one thing. You were like, you were continually learning. I was continually learning, okay. right? So like one of the, one of the, 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 the best thing we ever worked on was when we were looking at the Priceless Cities, we were launching Priceless Cities in Chicago, mm-hmm. right? So, um, he would go meet with the CMO of MasterCard. Yeah. And uh, the CMO of MasterCard at that time, his, his biggest thing was the way you take over a city is from the inside out. You need to figure out who's, who are the movers and the shakers. Uh, who are the, who right? are the community leaders? Who are who's going to unlock who? the rest of it? Right. Right? So I started. So Will came back. Uh, he briefed me on what it was. We had a conversation. And then I went to work uh, online, going online, doing the desk work first, right? Mm-hmm. Everything about Chicago, dog. I went through boom, <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I knew who was who, Yeah. right? Then we went on ground. We were in Chicago for, for about two months. Mm-hmm. Meeting aldermen, meeting different people, meeting yeah. everybody else. The thing is, if you're trying to unlock culinary, who you're gonna meet? Yeah, right. You're not just gonna meet the chefs. You're also gonna meet uh, what is it like the the people that that write about restaurants, right? Like, oh, I uh, mean, you gotta meet the writers for sure. The writers, um, everybody, everybody into that, right? If you want to do certain, like even the critics, the yeah. critics, yeah. you want to meet with them, right? If you want to be able to. To like Chicago, Wicker Park, right? The mm-hmm. taste, the taste of, um, I think uh, one of the one of the festivals that they have, right? If you, yeah, if you want to be able to take that over, mm-hmm. right? Or you want to be able to have a big presence there, you got to know who the you alderman know is. Who it is? Yeah. So you got to be able to go and, and, and to have access to the city. So like we're able to really go and build this framework yeah. about like, yo, how do you go into certain cities and be able to take that over? Right. Right. And 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 you take that over by you have to do you have to know who's who, mm-hmm. right? Or like if you want to be able to get the best tickets yeah. at like the the White Sox game, mm-hmm. who do you have to know? Who do you have to know? <laughs> Because yeah. all these things were leading up to it. Because the the if you understand what how Priceless City works is, it's a membership program, right? Yeah. So if you are a hard, if you are a high card spender mm-hmm. for for Mastercard, you get you get all of a sudden you start getting emails for being like, hey, if because we know that you bought you bought plane tickets yeah. to go to Chicago for Christmas with your family. Yeah. So number one. We're gonna we're gonna send you like hey because you're a a, a high card spender, um, the toy store. Yeah. We're gonna you have a private you have a private shopping section there. Yeah. We close down the toy store for you. <laughs> wow. Oh, you and your wife. We have a special dinner already booked for you at a restaurant yeah. that nobody can get touched to they could get into. We used to do it in New York, right? Yeah. Red Rooster. Nobody used to be able to go to Red Rooster. That used to be something we used to offer to people. Wow. Right? Like, all FAO Swartz, mm-hmm. shut it down for, like, a family that's showing up. Wow. Right? But those were different things. Different and, perks that came with the membership. But but, but the thing, the, the best thing about it, it was how you start putting, like, the, the, 
the science mm-hmm. and the science is so precise because like I, I was able, I was fortunate enough to work with a lot of guys who were able to think from a, a, a science perspective yeah. and then then add in that, that okay we're gonna do FAO sports we're gonna do the Bronx Zoo we're gonna do that yeah. that's the flavor on top yeah. of it right and I think sometimes when people get caught up in terms of what they're doing within marketing is like, like they're missing both you may have somebody who are really good at the science mm-hmm. <laughs> but don't know the, the art they don't know the art piece <laughs> or somebody that may come in and just be like oh I'm just a creative mm-hmm. but don't understand like yo you we'll do work at a business when we come back in just a moment how Nua went from helping MasterCard create a membership program with Universal McCann in New York to moving with his fiance at the time to Boston for a temporary opportunity at Puma stay with us I'm Bima and you're listening to Claimer Stories Hey everyone, support for Claimant Stories comes from Portland State University's Athletic and Outdoor Industry Certificate. Interested in claiming a career at companies like Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, or Keen? They can help by providing you with hands-on experience and connections to industry insiders. Visit pdx.edu and search Athletic and Outdoor Industry Certificate. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to Claimant Stories. So it's early 2013, and Newell has a really great thing going at Universal McCann in New York, but he really wants to work in the athletic and outdoor industry. In pursuit of his dream, he finds the courage to approach the Puma North America president about an opportunity. Ooh, take a step back. I wasn't approached. You weren't approached? Nah, I think approach sounds way too sexy for <laughs> what, what ended up happening. Right? So what's, how would you define I hounded the brand president right wait how'd you know the brand president my brother you gotta remember my brother used to work at Puma okay right he used to work for Puma North America yeah so at that time this was I think my my brother was there when everything was cracking right so like they they had people like one of the guys that worked in marketing at Puma started Mm -hmm. Nike Talk You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is when Puma was leading what Collabs was, like, back in the day of, like, mm-hmm. like they, they were just project, on their, this was project on their thing. Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. This was even before that, right? This was before that. They were really tuned in on, on culture and what culture meant, right? Mm-hmm. They had a CMO that was in place at that time who was, he was the definition of a consumer CMO. So hmm. he created things that spoke to him. Yeah. And he surrounded himself with people that kept him young. Mm. So he was constantly getting insight. So he was constantly getting insight. Mm-hmm. So like they weren't afraid to do streetwear before it was called streetwear. Mm-hmm. Because he had people around him who were able to do that. Tell me. But go, going back, you want to go back to yeah. Well, to you about, were hounding the the president. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so again, um, everything was happening was was shifting. My brother had left Puma um, um, at that time. The CMO had left Puma, and Puma was in a place where they did a lot of reorging, and they needed um, to rethink about their offense or rethink about their overall business. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I knew there was an opportunity to come in and uh, and run lifestyle marketing. Right, right, and so because you were seeing that, okay, well, things are—it looks like they are reforming, right? They're yeah. at, a, at a place where they need to essentially reorg. You saw it as opportunity. You didn't see it as like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go. You saw it as like, that's my opportunity to go. Absolutely, and you know what's so funny? When you say that, from where I sit right now, right, I was plotting for this opportunity even back then. <laughs> what do you mean by that? We grew up as Jordan and the Nike kids. Yes. That's so, it. 
everything I did going back to get my MBA was to get was to get where I am today, consciously and subconsciously. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right? I was chasing that. Because you saw that as the pinnacle. Saw that as the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Right? Great work. Everybody cherished the brand. I used to take the money I made from Puma and go buy the new Jordan <laughs> and put it in my closet. <laughs> Granted, I couldn't even wear it. <laughs> yeah. Because I grew up that kid. I grew up always wanting it. Yeah. I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. Right? So there was something there. Granted, where for me, and, 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 and to tell you, looking back at it, I probably, career-wise, Puma was really, really instrumental and really strong. I met a lot of people, the brand president taking the opportunity to be able to bring me in, my boss that was um, the head of, of, of lifestyle marketing, Yassine, that really um, was able to, to back me and, and kind of like uh, understand what I could bring to the table, yeah. being able to meet mentors, this guy, Marcus Tieu, who lives in Japan, um, who who was all always was 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 pushing me to do better and, and always was was able to give me nuggets and tell me like yo you actually you need to really figure out your worth hmm. you are actually bringing more to the table than you than they give than they, yep. they're giving back to you so yep. like i was able to 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 hound down the brand president and i remember he was on a flight back from germany so he was only texting me and he was just like yo can you can you come to um I was living in New York at that time. He was like, yo, can you come to can you come to Boston so we can meet? And I was like, all right, cool. He was like, when can you come? I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. Took the <laughs> day off. Tomorrow. Took the day off, got on the train, lived in New York, didn't have a car, got on the train, figured out how to get back to Boston, was in front of the office at 9 o'clock in the morning sitting waiting for him. He was like, yo, I didn't know you were really serious about coming. He was like, all right, come, let's talk. Wow. We want to talk. He was like, look, all I have is a temporary role. I need somebody to come in for like the next two to three months and really help me um, bridge the gap of where we are in lifestyle marketing right now because we we let the whole team go. Uh, we're moving the lifestyle the lifestyle uh, category to to London, but I need somebody in Boston with me to help me kind of like bridge everything else. Right. I had a good paying job in, in New York, mm-hmm. doing really well. Mm-hmm. Didn't tell my didn't tell my boss that I was leaving to go do a temporary job. Played it off like, yo, I got this great role in Boston. I'm about to go work for Puma. Yeah. Everybody was happy. They threw they threw a party for me in the back of my mind. I'm like, but damn, yo, I'm leaving my full-time <laughs> my job. For a temporary opportunity. With no health insurance. Wow. And were you... Were, you moved down with, 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 with your wife at the yeah. time, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, she's my fiancé at that fiance time. Fiancé at the time. Yeah. We got married shortly after. So but you yo, but you weren't moving by yourself, right? No, so. no. She was teaching. Yeah. Uh she she left her job, took a bet on myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't know. Didn't know. But what you believed in was the principle that we've been talking about. I was like, yo, at the end of the day is when when are you gonna do it? When are you gonna do it? And and of course, this is the opportunity to make it happen anyway. The same battery that I was putting in my back when I was sitting in a cubicle doing looking at Excel sheets and going to go back and get my MBA, I, I've kept that same energy every single day since making that decision of like, yo, you know, sometimes when you take a risk, when you're going through it, yeah, it sucks. Yeah. When you're going through it, you're like, man, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. But, yo, the, the, the blessing of God, it always works out, mm-hmm. right? I think one thing that you said I thought that 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 struck me was that there was a mentor there that had said that um 
you were contributing value that you didn't even maybe realize. And to me, what that made me think about was uh, a relationship that you helped bring to, to Puma. Mm-hmm. Um, in that being uh, Mike Sherman of ICNY and uh, now uh, Chinatown Market. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that happen? All right. So, so take a step back. So looking at it, and again, this, this person that you speak about, Marcus. Uh, so Marcus used to work at Nike. He used to actually be the GM for Nike SB. So when they did the... Um, the pigeon dunk and everything yep. else like Marcus yep. Marcus was on the team that did that to kind of like spearhead wow. of that right so like like he worked closely with Sandy Bodecker like Sheesh. a lot of people like people people in the game know him right yeah. like if you go online and research I think like if they say I think the, the top 50 people in um, footwear Marcus mm-hmm. I think Marcus is like 25 right but he's low key he's an uh, American Japanese dude like and again that's my guy like I'll literally if I'm going through if I'm doing certain things in my life yeah he knows. <laughs> like, right? Like, yeah. it, like when my daughter was born... He knows. He knows. Yeah. He, I sent him a picture. He sent a kimono. Like, he sent stuff here, right? Yeah. It's just different things because he's just a genuine person. Um, and at that time, he was working at Puma. He was leading Puma Japan. Okay. Right? So all the dope collabs that you guys used to see that's wow. happening. Marcus used to be leading because it, it's what he did, it's what he did what right? He does, yeah. So then... Um, I remember my boss, uh, another pivotal person, um, Yassine Saidi, who was running, um, he, he came over from Adidas, um, and um, he was working in the lifestyle department running this group called Puma Select. So it was literally okay. like looking uh, over. So he started Puma He started Puma Select. So it was yeah. like energy marketing um, mm-hmm. for, for Puma. But uh, at that time, is he had some collab partners, and he was also just learning the game because he, he, he just came into it. Yeah. And then... Um, I got connected with him because I was working in the lifestyle group, and, right. I, and I and I was like, "Oh, all right." He's, He's like, kind of oh. pair. He was yeah. like, "Oh, a New Yorker, like American, <laughs> like I'm I'm a um, he's a French dude." He's like, "I'm a French dude. I don't really know this space, but you know, like, okay, cool." And then um, I remember me and him just ended up connecting yeah. back and forth, working right. on certain things. He was like, "Yo, I'm coming to I'm coming to the U.S." Uh, let's take a trip to New York. I want to go meet mm. some partners, some new partners that we could work with. Then we went to to Bushwick before Bushwick is what Bushwick is today, right? And <laughs> what do you I, mean by that? Because this is when gentrification, gentrification even started happening in Bushwick. Okay, right? Like it wasn't like like if if you if you know Mike Sherman, he's he's a white boy with a lot of tattoos on him, right? <laughs> yeah. But he he understands ball. He understands this culture. Mm-hmm. Right, and he's super smart in terms of being able to to make a a business out of anything. He has that he has that that keen entrepreneur spirit, mm. and 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 it, it is shown in terms of what he's doing. And he's like he's I could probably say he's again he's one of my close friends because yeah. like he's able to really connect on 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 that right, and yeah. really he's able to balance that that art and that science. Yeah, and 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 in in the science area where where he may not be able to do that, he's able to tap into friends who can right. Right. Mm. And, and and Mike has worked in this industry long enough to be able to, to finish to to, to 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 understand that. So we went and met with Mike. Um we got into a a, a taxi and my, my my boss at that time, French dude, yeah. got nervous because we started going far out. Right. <laughs> we we left Manhattan. Like leaving, yeah. Leaving uh, the we city. left Manhattan, we started going. Mm-hmm. The train Moved from being underground to up top, uh, top. and he was feeling some type of ways about it. Right? We pulled up to at that time. Mike was um was sharing um, studios with uh, this this 
this group called Look Studios, right, out in okay. Bushwick. Um, so we went up to Mike Mike's place. Mike had a little desk. It was snowing outside. It was it was super cold. They, these people. It was almost like a sweatshop in there where they were doing like <laughs> screen printing here. They were doing all these different things. We were able to connect with Mike. Mm-hmm. My boss was super taken back and being like, "Oh snap! This is where like when people are when you see all the finishing things." These are the people that actually make it. This is yeah. These are the creatives. Behind these are the creatives scene. actually behind it. Mm-hmm. And he was actually taken back that I was able to connect him with that, right? Huh. Because if we would have went to New York and I was just gonna connect him with like you Ronnie Feig and everybody else, he, he would have been like, yo, it. he would never saw that, You're right? Right. We went and sat with Mike, and Mike was like, oh, you know that collab you guys are doing, with Ronnie Feig? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm finishing the design for Ronnie tonight. <laughs> and he was like, my boss was like, wait, what? He was like, oh yeah. Took his computer out, showed him. He was like, yeah, this is what the logo is going to be. And then my boss was like, wait, so you're you back here creating. Yeah. <laughs> so, wait, but my boss didn't understand who Mike was. Mm-mm. Right? So, a lot of the things where of being able to connect these subcultures was I have a keen sense of, of knowing who the influencer's influencer is. Mm-hmm. A vastity is the influencer's influencer. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. Mike is is behind the design of most designs. Yeah, like it or not, a lot of people may hate on it and may be like, "Oh, whatever." Like, may feel like it's not. Dog, you go a lot of mood boards, you see it in there. Yeah, <laughs> like it is what it, <laughs> it is. is. What it is. Like, how many times do you see the yellow smiley ball all over the all place? All over the place, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. You meet Mike, mm-hmm. and uh, your your boss meets Mike. And he sees all this amazing work that Mike's doing, and uh, you guys decide to move forward and create a project, right? Yeah, not initially. It went back and forth. So we went. We had a great connection with Mike. Um, again, everything has to go back and kind of run through, right? Run through the system of like, okay, what's the product timeline? What's the, the available slots to be able to do it? Okay. And at that time, like my boss was going back. Like we knew we wanted to work with Mike, but we just didn't align when when we're gonna do it. Okay. Right. So for us is um, again uh, from a relationship perspective. We went and had a great uh, conversation with Mike at that time. Mike was not making a, a lot of money. So for him, he was like, yo, people, somebody wants to make a shoe with me. I have all these great designs. I get to make some money. Like, Newell, hit me up. Newell, what's going on? I got to keep going back and forth. I'm like, yo, it's going to happen. Just yeah. give me time. Just give me time. And that's one thing that he always, he'll hold me is that I, I was true to my word. And it happened. Knock on wood, because sometimes I was like, damn, I don't even know if this is going to happen. Yeah. But it, it ended up happening. And, um, it and yeah, it made it through. It so through. what was like, what was was your day-to-day involvement after after he was uh, a partner to the brand how are you then um involved everything everything what everything do you mean by that besides doing the illustrated sketches <laughs> everything well even even to take a step back i would send him the cats mm-hmm. right working back and forth with him and being like all right so what's the theme and it wasn't just Mike. It was also looking at Vashti or A-Life, right? Mm-hmm. So looking at all the partners. So, again, I went from a place of only having a temp position yeah, to all of a sudden having a place where I'm looking after all the collabs coming in at Puma. Wow. Within a three-month span. Again, luck. Mm-hmm. But luck, but also you showed up. Oh, I showed up. Yeah. But I didn't even... And, and again, showing up... With without having a predetermined agenda mm-hmm. and just the pureness of being like, yo, I know actually Passion. how to do this. Yeah. yeah. 
and not even realize what I'm doing because again <laughs> you'll have somebody like Marcus who'd be like yo you don't even know how much money you're putting out today. Mm-hmm. like you don't even know what you're doing yeah. like basically these three collections that you're coming out these are the pinnacle collections that we have for the whole brand for the season you know how much numbers are behind this <laughs> you Nego- had no idea negotiating contracts with Mike yeah like A Life yeah. like you know what I mean all the stuff that they did a full collection yeah Vashley being uh, the face of Puma, uh, 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 women's for Puma yeah right and kind of leading within that having people go back and forth like oh who's Vashley people that don't know who she is right. I'm like yo there's a reason why if you don't know who she is perfect that's why we want to work that's with her that's why we work if with you her. know who she is then <laughs> we, we don't, don't want to work, work with her, her. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so um while you're working at Pullman, while you're working on those projects, things go really well. The Mike, the the project that you were doing with Mike with IC and Y, it goes really well, and um, things are going well for you in your career. To your point, right? You you went from temporary to a full time role there, and you're leading these collaboration projects. Um, in some of these things that you're doing for work, right? You travel to different trade events and stuff like that, mm-hmm. whether it be out in Vegas for Agenda. Um, there was one particular work experience where um you did experience racism yeah right? um and it was a moment where um i think you and your team were just sharing in dialogue and it just kind of hit you out of left field yeah so we're at the trade show as things are going on mm-hmm. and then our top boss the gm for uh puma lifestyle yeah. came over to to the u.s and again and it was just mad weird right because yeah. you start realizing like situations going on you're just like yo what is, what is going on this mm-hmm. dude like started tripping and stuff right and then we're all sitting at dinner as the overall team mm-hmm. right and then uh the team where and mind you, I was the only American on the team. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was European because that's where everybody else was it's based, but it yeah. all came, right? So we're sitting at the dinner table, and um, uh, one of one of my counterparts was sitting there where we we are at this restaurant, and the restaurant is um, uh, it's kind of like a pizza restaurant, but they're not serving pizza; it's like flatbread <laughs> and stuff, right? So, and then um, and I knew my my Italian colleague, yeah. He, because I knew we 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 spent time in in Germany together, right? Yeah, and you had a conversation. And he's very before. particular in his type of Italian food. <laughs> okay, right? And then I'm just like, oh, word! I'm like, yo, I'm looking on his menu. What are you gonna order? They only have flatbread. This is crazy. He was like, oh no, no, I'll, I'll eat flatbread in like an Italian accent. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And he was just like, yo, but you know, Italy makes the best pizza. I was just like, yo, I don't even know if that's true. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like he was like, yeah. And then I don't, fast forward, the uh, conversation started turning into like, which country or which race, what are the, what are they best known for? Mm-hmm. Right, in, like in, in in regards of food or just it just in, in general, general, general okay. right? So everybody was hyping up like where they're from, where they're from, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, up, oh, like oh, this person do this, right? For. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know like um a black American guy made peanut butter and like like just different things. We're mm-hmm. going back and forth. Then uh, the top boss goes like, oh yeah, a British guy made the internet. And they were like, oh okay, that's cool. So everybody's looking up on their phone. Then yo, out of nowhere, this <laughs> dude just goes, our top boss, he goes like. Oh, I know what black people are famous for. Laziness. And I'm like, yo. Wow. What? I look around the room. Nobody's saying anything because everybody's just quiet. Yeah. And I've never felt more isolated in my life. How did you respond? How can you? Mm. Right? It's one second you eat it up because you're looking at this is the person that has the power that holds your career in his hand. Right, like what? What can you? What can you say? What can you do? Mm-hmm. And at certain else, and then you start thinking to yourself, you're like, "Damn, 
if this is what he's thinking, I ain't never gonna be shit to him. Wow. Cause here I'm I'm out here putting thinking. numbers on the yeah. board. Yeah, you you you're you're going above and beyond. Going above and beyond my job to give this company everything, to give his category everything that he could possibly want. And this is what he thinks of me? Hmm. I was like, yo, bump a performance review. If this is what he thinks of me, I'm never going to be like, what? Yeah, it completely it completely took away any of your 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 thought towards being a, a senior leader there or even your desire to be probably. Yeah, man. And and and, and granted that um I said the story to to um to to another black leader that was there and um I think like they were kind of like uh, again, agendas may have been a little bit involved in this where they were they were feeling a little bit frustrated with him so like they, they bubbled it up but I remember um, having a conversation with HR about it and it, it just it was just like hey they didn't fire him mm-hmm. but like we just never knew where he went to right so he, like so he was still in the org yeah, some other some area. other places or like whatever else but it was just I just remember that and I remember that also as a German company with all these things are going on right now I'm just like yo like this is this is just this is stuff that's been happening yeah right like this is an isolated thing mm-hmm. of being able to understand it but i also like looking at it i'm like yo this is an old man that's looking at a kid that's trying to work hard and trying to do everything else and basically telling him like yo the only thing i like oh i know what black people are famous for <laughs> laziness i'm like <laughs> like what do you mean barack obama's president yeah what are you talking, <laughs> are you about? talking about like what you 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 most of the money that you're making is is off black of black people. culture. Right. Right. Sheesh. <laughs> so I say after that experience, um, and then uh an ultimatum to move to Germany, right? Mm-hmm. Um you ultimately decided to start to pursue opportunities outside of Puma, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think you've since worked at Calvin Klein mm-hmm. and uh, working with global partners like Justin Bieber. You've mm-hmm. worked with the Kardashians, mm-hmm. ASAP Rocky. Um, and then you also became a brand director at Converse, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you ended up linking up with an old friend. Mm-hmm. And that old friend would be uh, you reconnected with Mike Sherman of Chinatown Market. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit of that journey to that place. It was an easy journey. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Because it was I was seasoned at that time. So you felt like you had like oh oh you were well, like again it was coming into to, to Converse and and I'm not even gonna gonna trip about it. You have to find your footing right and try to figure it out because you're coming into it, it is Converse but it's still part of the the overall Nike organization and it's pro part of the Matrix right. So there's okay. and at that it's time a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers and at that time um, there was a lot of people moving over from Nike and getting really high roles over mm-hmm. there. Like and, and, what year and was, it this? was this? Was 2018? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it was about two years ago. Okay. So um. Coming into that role, I, I was I was fortunate enough to 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 be brought in by um, a guy Jeff Cha, really really good guy. Um, he a really smart marketer. Um, he ended up moving on in a very short period of time. But then um, I, I was able to work across a team where I was working in North America, looking at uh, looking over energy marketing for North America. Okay, right. So um, the, the space you're pretty familiar. The space with. I'm I'm familiar with, and <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be brought onto a project. That um, that was looking at how, because 
Converse's business at, at, at Foot Locker was was suffering at that time, right? Mm. And they they wanted to know like, oh, all this. So usually, what ends up happening is once within energy marketing, you have some energy product that may hit Converse uh, Foot Locker's shelf, okay, and it does really well. Yeah, and Foot Locker's always well, going. that. Full Locker's always going back and playing to the sales director. And the sales, sales director at that time was Steph Smith, who mm-hmm. is uh, running SB right now. Yes. And, um, uh, and and this is one thing of working closely with her team. And, and we were trying to figure out, like, hey, how can we really uh, satisfy the need that Full Locker has, right? Yeah. So they had this task force that they had in place called um, Project Underdog, right? Okay. And I was, at first, I wasn't part of that project. Right. And, and so this this task force was essentially focused just on the Foot Locker um, business. On the Foot Locker business, right? Okay. And I wasn't I wasn't part of that task force. And then um, at that time, my boss was like, hey, I have this task force. I'm busy. I can't go to it. I need you to go lean into it for me, right? Wow. Again, opportunity just being thrown, and you got to take it and run with it. Yeah. Right? And then- um, Were you reluctant at all? Or you were- you're like, oh, no, no, absolutely I not. I was like, yo, what this, what is this? I'm like, I from my Puma days, I worked with Full Locker. Like we even did Puma Lab with Full Locker, so I know those, I knew those guys, mm-hmm. and I knew the Full Locker consumer, right? And yeah. I was just like, all right, cool. I'm gonna come in here and try to figure out how to help them unlock what what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember the first day we go into the meeting, you had designs and everything there, right? But mm-hmm. there was no concept. There was no <laughs> marketers in the room. There was nobody that knows how to balance the the art. The, so the art and 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 the business side. What right? you mean by that? It was the ideas were there, but there's no way to kind of tailor that back to a journey and back into the ideas. Like who the, who the who ideas was, was the idea wasn't there. Mm, okay, right. The 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 part of an idea was there, but it wasn't framed. Okay, right. So we go into the room. Um, um, the design team starts showing product that they started working on based off of feedback that they got from Full Locker when they went and had their um their sales meeting with Full Locker, right? Yeah. So like they started working on uh some some like deconstructed shoe. So it was almost like everybody going back and forth into this. Then they started going through like the deck, like yeah. the inspiration behind the, the shoe. <laughs> they show a picture of Josh Vitez, right? Like he he traces the oh, he has yeah. the white and then he traces it with the black line. Black line, yeah. And I was just like, yo, I was just in Paris. Kicking it with Josh, okay, cool, whatever. And then um, <laughs> they show the the show Chinatown Market about this whole thing, and I was just like, Mike's Mike just guy. texted me this morning. I just <laughs> talked to him. I was like, yeah. all right, cool. He's been trying to do a collab with Converse for the longest, but they didn't want to do it. So yeah. I'm like, all right, whatever. So we're, we're sitting in the meeting, and then I'm like, yo, you know what's missing from this is there's no theme, mm-hmm. right? You guys have something here, but if we want to create something is – the insight behind this whole thing is kids are hacking the system. Mike Sherman, Mike Sherman, and Ch- and, and and Josh Vitas is the perfect face behind hacking the mm-hmm. system. And when I say hacking the system, is they are taking product mm-hmm. and, and putting a spin it? on it. Okay. And this actually brought me back to like the realities of when I said before when you're younger. Yes. Right. Necessity. Taking things that weren't meant for that and turning it into that. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was just a different form of it. Yeah. Right. So like I, I sat back and looked at it. I'm like, yo, I know Mike. I know Josh. Mm-hmm. I could text him right now if you guys want to. You guys want to do something? And they're like, oh, we don't know because we it needs to go through it needs to go through certain certain layers and everything else. I was like, all right, cool. Just let me know. But you know what? Let's build this concept. Right. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, Foot Locker wants a collab. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> and then second, you know you want to draft off of the collab to make inline stuff. Right. So at the end, what we need to do is we need to figure out how to put this together, mm-hmm. present it to the overall team that that handles collabs, and let's do the collab as the the the, the cherry on top. Yeah. And then we'll do the inline product to be able to match it, and it will talk to the overall system. Exactly. Right. So again. Not that easy mm-hmm. because there were so many different hurdles that you got to jump so through. So many people you got to talk to. Oh, so many about. friendships that I lost. People yeah. looking at me like, yo, what? What are you doing? Like, all this stuff, right? But at the end of the day, ended up being super successful. It was easy as like, yo, me texting Mike and being like, yo, I got to play. Mm-hmm. You want to you wanted a collab? We have something that we're doing with Foot Locker. You down? Mike's like, yo, Newell, you're my man. I got you. What do you need? Same wow. thing with Josh. Boom. Able to work on the contract. Mm-hmm. Next thing we had, Josh was actually in uh, Boston, luckily, yeah. a couple of weeks later, doing like some exhibition with concepts. Okay. Uh, he was able to come to campus, did his design that day, right? Same thing with, with Mike. We, we flew Mike in. Mm-hmm. Mike was able to come, bang out his work. All of a sudden, it's like we went back and forth on what the designs are going to be. It ended up being a little bit of a headache because like just getting the <laughs> approval process, those egos being involved in it. You gotta have you gotta have some tension, yo. But we landed it. And last year, if you go back and look at what happened last year at ComplexCon with the Josh Vitas in the Chinatown market, that's yeah. the proof. That's the proof of the pudding, right? Mm-hmm. It's all that started from like just being able to understand concepts, right? Yeah. Understand how to build things, understanding the business side as well as the art side, right? How to tie things into it. And I can say for me again, put numbers on the board, like, and I, I ended up leaving even before the collection launched. But everybody hit me up from Converse, being like, "Oh my God, this is on everybody." Yeah. It went from nobody wanted. Do it to, to be not everybody concept. Everyone's deck, man. Look. Oh, oh my God, yo! It was full presentation of like, oh, what we did with Chinatown Market and Josh Vita was amazing. We needed to do more stuff like that. I'm like, man, I was sitting here. You guys were cussing me out. You didn't even want to do this. Now all of a sudden, it's like, but it always takes that, right? It takes like it a takes little bit of rebels to be able to open up certain things and take certain risks for people to to finally want to do it. Totally. And that's the whole that like I mean that also fits into the ethos, right, of Mike and of Josh. Like, right, that's all about like going outside a system. Yeah. Right? The system's already in place and it is what it is. You know what you can expect from the system. In order to get something different, you got to go a different track. Yeah, but I can tell you this, I hate the system. <laughs> you know why? <laughs> because the system involves people wanting to do the same thing over and over. Yes. Right? Like even people coming back, oh, we need to what's the next what's the next Josh in, in, in Chinatown Market? Or what it's like, nah. Nah. And what I say is it's throwaway. Because mm-hmm. all you gotta do is give me the problem. I will solve it. <laughs> Uniquely. Uniquely. Right? So let's go look at something else. Let's look at something else. So like I just sit there, I'm like, man, I wish somebody would give me a problem. Mm-hmm. Cause I'll solve it. <laughs> so tell me about the Nike thing. Right. Tell me what's happening in your in your head. Right. You to your point, like you have had incredible wins over those last couple of years with big organizations from Calvin Klein to just recently uh, Converse. But as being nostalgic and thinking about what you love growing up, ultimately, Nike always had a pull at at your heart. Right. And so um, what's going through your mind when that opportunity is kind of. Looking like it's about to happen. Yo, when I started doing that, um, it started opening doors, right? Because people started realizing who I was and started introducing me to people at, at Nike. And for me, 
it almost hit a certain point. I'm like, damn, I'm about to hit my goal. Ooh. I'm like, yo, I'm about to make it. Mm. I'm about to make it. I've been working so hard for this. My wife's like, yo, you're going to be happy when you go? Like, her big thing, <laughs> she, just, she said this to me. She's like, when we move, you're going to be happy? And um, I feel very fortunate for where I am. Because mm. I, 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 like I was telling you before, I have a lot of friends that I grew up with, right? That didn't. That didn't make it. Yeah. Right? So I, I have a lot of friends. Like, one of my one of my close friends during junior high school, this kid, Louis, Louis King. Mm. Smart. Most athletic, right? Always, like, all the girls loved him. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. ended up getting caught up in the game. Mm-hmm. What do you mean getting caught up in the game? Ended up, like, his, 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 his mom ended up going to jail, which ended up spiraling into to, to him getting caught up in drugs, going to jail, started doing drugs like it, it just ended up becoming a, a tragic sense of what what ends up happening right yeah. like and i think for him is he was dealing with a lot of uh, outside stresses that that kind of messed him up but it's also like it, it really just makes me sit back and look at like man you know like the potential that a lot of us have that never gets gets seen for a lot of reasons yeah it's, it's so unfortunate but it also, like, it makes me also grateful for where I am. And it also makes me, like, to be honest, looking at you of where I am at Nike right now, I'm just like, yo, what, what's next? Mm. What's the next challenge, right? Which is crazy. But because the it's like most seems people, like it relit. It, it has to. Mm. It has to. Because if not, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to go down. I'm not ready to retire. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't know when I'll ever be ready to retire, to be honest with you. I don't even know where, yo. What is retirement to, at this point? Well, let me tell you something. Black people don't retire. <laughs> that's foreign. Mm. That's not, not a, a luxury. That that's you know. not a luxury that we have. Yeah. 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 Um, so you've had and you're you're still got so much to give to your to your career, as you said, you don't know when you're gonna retire. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking back to where you started, right? Your family immigrated from Liberia. Mm-hmm. You grew up in a, a community that was ravaged by drugs, mm-hmm. by crack. Um, you've been able to step over hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. You've pivoted from finance down to marketing. Knowing what you know now, uh, your father, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give? You know, to your younger self, as you're you're trying to discover, you know, your dream career, um, what would you say? Know your worth. Expand. It, the the sooner that you realize what you're worth and what you can bring to the table, the better off you are. Hmm. Right. And, and knowing your worth, it, it even goes back to to high school. Right, knowing what type of courses to take to be able to get into college, going to college and knowing what you're there for and what you're gonna get out of there, right? Mm-hmm. And then also like that's gonna steer you to a career or where you need to be, right? Where, yeah. where, where you want to be. Then second is once you realize that and once you know the career, you know what your worth is when you go into these careers. So you're not just landing into a job and you're just happy that somebody's paying you thirty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> right, you're actually able to go into a career that you know what the what the pay scale is going to be yeah. and what the career track is going to be for you to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you can learn that, I, I'll probably tell you it's, it's probably the best thing. 
was Noel Gota. He's a brand marketer at Nike Basketball in Portland, Oregon, and he's been at the company since 2018. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Find out more about Nuo and get access to all of our episodes on our website at claimastories.com. And while you're there, please give us a review. If you'd like to connect, follow us on Instagram at claimastories. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo and Adrian Anaya with music composed by V Dot of the Creative State. Thanks also to Oil Maui 